Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Eric and Ryan Show. Today is October 7th. It's around 11 in the morning, and we thought we would go through a few end of quarter, beginning of the fourth quarter thoughts and updates. Um, we haven't recorded in about a week and a half, so we thought it was a good time to do so since there's been a little bit of a pickup in, in news flow. Uh, this is episode 12, if I'm not mistaken, and I've got with me Ryan Byrne, who's going to go through a few updates um, on on September and and the beginning of the quarter, and we'll talk a little bit about everything that's going on. Sure. Hi, everyone. So uh, the quarter ended, third quarter 2020 ended with the S&P uh, total return up at about 9%. Um, so uh, that's a good number, points to more of a uh, optimism in the markets uh, towards a recovery and um, that's actually coming off the the heels in September it was a, a down month so uh, July and August uh, were, were very uh, strong for the market and then September we gave some back on uh, stimulus woes and a plethora of other things um, but some data points from for the quarter and, and things that I saw throughout the quarter that I thought were a little bit positive uh, Credit and debit card spending or use is actually up compared to where it was uh, the last month of January. So said differently, uh, the consumer spending has actually um, returned and exceeded what it was pre-COVID. So not sure if that's a function of more discretionary dollars because some of the fixed costs like commuting costs were... Uh, muted or or if um, you know we we saw early st- signs of fiscal stimulus working um, nonetheless consumer spending is really is really strong and um, myself I, I always say to Eric uh, it's a consumer economy two-thirds of, of GDP is based on consumer spending so it's a positive sign um, goods is outpacing services which is also a good thing in terms of uh, cyclical sectors uh, which we'll get into in a little bit um, rail loadings, another, uh, again, very business cyclical type of business, I should say, um, uh, are starting to pick up. So um, 200,000 units per week is uh, a busy railroad. In, in 2018, when the economy was arguably at its strongest, um, the number was over 200,000 units a week. Um, so, and, um, in the middle of the pandemic units per week, we're down to about 150,000 and the number right now is about 195,000. So, uh, rail loads picking up just points to further improving in the economy. And again, uh, it's nice when people are buying dishwashers and, uh, refrigerators and capital goods instead of spending money on Uber, uh, it helps the non-tech portion of the market immensely in my in my view, and, and I believe Eric shares the same view. Um, something that you haven't really seen uh, a big uptick in uh, in quite some time. So so it's promising. Um, and then all that leads to um, pretty good performance again in the markets. But if we drill down to the sectors, and Eric and I spoke about this yesterday, uh, we we always play guess the best. Uh, performers in the S&P in, in the quarter, uh, you know, usually it's tech 
comm services and discretionary because Amazon is in discretionary. Um, but this quarter is actually discretionary materials and industrial. So all of the data lines up with how the market's acting. Um, people are spending a little bit more money. Um, business cycle seems to be coming back and, and good capital goods are far outpacing services. Uh, anything to add before I go into um, just two or three more data points, Eric? Nope. But, um, you know, the cyclicality of those strong sectors is, you know, telling and, and impressive to me. So I, I, uh, I think it's a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I, raw, sorry, it speaks to some of the reversion you and I have talked about um, a few weeks back about, you know, tech versus some of those other wake up sectors. I think those other sectors are starting to finally wake up, you know, as a good example, Liondell, it's a chemical company. You know, this was a $55 stock a month ago, maybe $58 stock a month ago. It's 79 now. So it's starting to show signs of life. And, and, and a lot of names like that are starting to show signs of life. Yep. It's always a good thing. And it's, um, even in the, the strong bull market of 2019, some of these stocks uh, r- really never got going. So it's it's promising. That's the word. Um, and then in terms of, of economic data, jobs, we've recovered about half of the jobs um, that we've lost since the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, again, slow, long recovery is anticipated. The September unemployment went to, I believe it was 7.9%. Uh, we lost some participants and we had some more permanent job losses. So um, the number was not, the number was good, but it's not as good as um, what 7.9% would have been in, call it August. Uh, I'm sorry, call it June. Uh, but again, jobs, ha- half of the jobs we lost are recovered. We're seeing new industries form almost every day. I'm sure you've all. Uh, if you haven't listened to our podcast, you've seen it for yourself. Um, but again, just a, a low and slow recovery is underway. Um, and then in, in terms of global data, um, one point I really like to point out is that 80% of the travel has been recovered in China. Said differently, uh, China travel is back to 80% of uh, pre-COVID levels. So that's promising um but not not uh we're not out of the woods yet it's not at 100% it's not at 110% uh in china but it's good to know that um some of the other areas of the of the world are starting to uh to pick up and and return to um a, an immediate normal so uh something that i always say is you know the new normal i know i'm not sure if i Except uh, that, but interim normal uh, seems to be fading in some places. Um, and then, uh, obviously, the the big highlight is that there's still no stimulus. Uh, we can go, or I can go on and on about why there's no stimulus or whose fault it is. But uh, it comes down to the fact that our elected ele- officials refuse to uh, negotiate in the best interest for uh, you know Main Street America. Uh, and then you have appointed officials like Jay Powell saying uh, we need it and the chance of it being overdone is is very minimal. Um, and it speaks volumes to me that an appointed official is um, 
more aware than elected officials. Um, but that's that's really it. Uh, we're looking for stimulus. If we don't get it, I think uh, the market can pull back. But um, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, stimulus and how it's being funded later. But uh, I have nothing else to add on stimulus. It's just it's it's upsetting to me. Uh, Eric, anything? Well, I think stimulus falls into the uncertainty category. You know, the the market is desperate to not have high levels of uncertainty, and and it's always seeking things that are more certain. I think not having uh, the stimulus resolved yet is, you know, you saw this yesterday. Yesterday was Tuesday, October 6th. The market was up about 200 points because of a one hour, what sounded like a one hour productive phone call between Pelosi and Mnuchin. And then in the last hour and last half hour of trading, um, it was announced that Trump instructed his folks to uh, stop negotiating until after the election. The 200 point Dow gain became a 400 point Dow loss in the span of 46 minutes. Um, That is, I think, the definition of uncertainty. And by the way, it's that uncertainty that I think the market is tired of. and, and, And I think that's what it's gotten a lot of from this administration. Um, and you know, this is not a political discussion, but I would say that you know the market is always trying to hang on to things that are, of course, more certain. Uh, the stimulus being, I think, front and center. We did have a new, um, a new round of uncertainty, and that was with Trump and nineteen other White House folks being diagnosed with COVID nineteen over the last few days. And I think, you know, there's another example of of some uncertainty. So he announced that he had COVID at about one in the morning on Friday. Um, the market's futures, the futures market sold off, you know, tremendously. And then Friday was actually kind of a, a nothing burger of a day down less than 1%. We come in Monday, um, market's up largely because it sounded like stimulus would get done and that he was doing a lot better. Um, and and then, of course, we erase those Monday gains on Tuesday with the, you know, lack of stimulus. All of that said, you know, I think him being sick going into the second week of the virus, you know, uh, needing oxygen, taking four very premature or four unknown treatments. Um, uh, I'm talking specifically about Regeneron's cocktail and uh, the remdesivir, which is Gilead's cocktail, and dexamethasone, which is um, a steroid, and then of course famotidine, which I've mentioned on this podcast before. Famotidine is just Pepsid uh, for those who don't know, but in higher dosage, uh, nine times the normal dose, it becomes experimental um, in in giving to to COVID patients. So we've given four experimental treatments to to President Trump, and he seems to be doing well, um, but. I think it creates a, a more uncertain position if you're thinking about um, his health. So you got a lot of that going on. Of course, we're 26 days out from the election. Um, the most remarkable thing to me is how resilient the market seems to be. You know, any one of these events taken on their own normally would cause, uh, I would say, a substantial, significant sell-off. And yet, we seem to sell off. People buy the dip, and and we recover. Um, there doesn't seem to be quite a bit of um, pain points that the market wants to hang on to. Um, I think also the market, you know, liked when Biden 
reported that he tested negative repeatedly, that Pence reported that he tested negative repeatedly. Um, so it's those kinds of bulletins that you know the market is looking for um, to remove some of that uncertain, uh, some of those uncertain themes. Um, but 2020, I would say, you know, Ryan, you put in our little notes here that we write up before the show. The theme of 2020, I think, has been a big uncertainty situation, you know, f- from starting with how do we position uh, coming off of a, a very complacent 2019, uh, starting to absorb the viral headlines in January and February, then dealing with virus and social distancing, school shutdowns, business shutdowns, and then, of course, moving on to the the after effects of all that. And um, I would say that, you know, you're definitely right. 2020 seems to have been a, a, a huge uncertain year and it's not over yet. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and peeling back uncertainty is is like the reason the market is up at all right every time a layer of uncertainty gets removed the market cheers so on friday the market was down big on president trump's uh, uh positive test and and as prominent figures started to test negative uh really just uh biden and, and pence the market started to rally um You've seen it time not, and time again, right? Yeah, let, we've gotten. I've gotten a lot of phone calls in the last um, couple of weeks about uh, concerns around the election, concerns around the outcome, and and what I've been telling everyone is, you know, not only if we try to adjust portfolios ahead of the election, we have to get the outcome right and the reaction right. It's very hard to get those two things right, and we can't lose sight of the fact that election day or night or perhaps election week, if it turns into that, it is a calendar event. And it is something that we've had on the calendar for a long time. And we know that it generally comes and goes. And I would say that the level of fear around this election is more personal than financial. And I think it's important to remember that that that's a very, it's, it's hard to sometimes bifurcate that. But the the election what you want to happen personally, whether you want Trump to win or Biden to win or um, Congress composition to be a certain shade, I, I would say just remember there it's a calendar event and it will drop off the calendar. It always does. And whether it drops off on the 3rd or it drops off on the 13th or the 23rd, it will drop off and we will always move towards that more uh, – known, known position. And I've used a lot of these examples on the podcast recently where I've talked about unknown unknowns. I think the market occasionally sees these unknown, unknown events where we don't know what to do and we weren't expecting uh, the certain situation, that, that situation. COVID in March is an example, I think, perfect example of unknown, unknown. And then I think where we are today, thinking about the election, is more of a known unknown situation. We know there's an election, we just don't know the outcome. It's a calendar event, it will drop off, and we need to bifurcate personal personal preferences versus financial. I don't I don't think the the election could cause as much damage as COVID did in March by any means. And so I don't think it's that important to position portfolios uh, ahead of the election because there's too many iterations of what could happen. And I think we're positioned very well right now. uh, And that would be more conservative. And I think the only time really the market um, was surprised by an election was really 2016 when financials and industrials uh, 
became the best performing sectors in, in the market once Trump won. Um, so again, even if you bet on, on Trump to win, you would have had to really back up the truck into two, at the time, very unattractive sectors. Um, so I couldn't agree more with uh, with what you said, Eric. And um, I think the another thing that we, you know, when Trump first tested positive, you and I were like, this could happen or what could happen when we were when we were on the phone shooting from the hip. And, and the, the recurring word was could. And um, the fact that uh, the uncertainty that's implied by the word could, you know, it just speaks to what the market was thinking at the time. And then, you know, as things started to get better, the market started to improve. So I, I, uh, I'm with you on that. Okay. Um, what else did we want to talk about today, Ryan? Did we want to talk about uh, some, med- some medicine? Yeah, I think, I think, uh, you know, um, Trump took everyone under the sun, it, it seems, but, um, you know, the, the, the medical field or the field of the, 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 the cocktails or the antibody tests that were the news in quarter three around all of this, um, I think uh, it's worth noting, at least mentioning. Uh, Eric, you probably have a little bit better uh, baseline than I do, so why don't you uh, say what you want to say and I'll add whatever I might have. Yeah, I, I think, you know, that, the, the, again, the calendar, the timing, we are in November, right? It's a far distance from where we were in March, and that's allowed science to kind of improve and get, get their arms around this. We don't have a vaccine yet, and that is okay. Um, in fact, we kind of wouldn't want a vaccine right now because it would mean that we rushed it and don't know the safety implications. But, you know, one of the things scientists have said around getting the virus under control, of course, is herd immunity, and herd immunity can come from everyone getting infected and having antibodies. Uh, to the virus or from a widespread vaccine that everyone takes, which I think is is still some time off. But fortunately, the window is shorter than where we were eight months ago. Um, what we did get last week is the headline I've been waiting for for a while. Uh, and that's regarding Re- Regeneron, which is a company many of you might own, depending on your timing and, and, and allocations with us. Regeneron Cove 2, which is the name of their antibody treatment. This is the the cocktail that Trump took on Friday in a compassionate use case. But Regeneron has been testing this in mild patients for several months now. Uh, This particular cocktail um, began, uh, I started following it with a Wall Street Journal study that basically started with the CEO and the head science officer congratulating each other in early April that they had found the two antibodies they wanted to use for this cocktail. And the article ended with them celebrating with champagne. I remember the anecdote because I remember saying to myself, how could they be so confident? And in following Regen Cov 2 cocktail for six months and, and waiting and waiting for these data points, we finally got the data points on Wednesday for those patients that have had a mild case of, of COVID. And so in, in cases that are not severe, meaning not really requiring any other uh, large um, uh, medical visits, uh, meaning uh, having to go to a hospital, so going to your doctor was okay, but, but not actually um, uh, going to the hospital, patients whose bodies reacted to the cocktail, um, uh, meaning your own body's immune system woke up, um, those patients received a a viral uh, a drop a drop in their viral loads by about I think forty 
want to say 45%. So if your immune system was working properly, the drug helped, but it wasn't everything. It was the patient's body that was able to help. But patients whose, whose bodies didn't wake up, whose immune system didn't wake up, um, the Regeneron cocktail, which is known as RegenCov2, um, that reduced viral load basically to Magic Johnson HIV levels, a 99% reduction in viral load, which means to me, no evidence of, of real disease. Uh, no real side effects were, were reported. I believe there was, uh, I believe there was one death, if I'm not mistaken, but it was um, unlikely related to the, the cocktail. And, um, and I think those results are very encouraging. They're also trying this particular cocktail as a preventative, and they're also trying it in severely sick patients. So this is the drug that Trump took. Now, uh, the reason the stock was up so much on Monday was because it got a lot of press for the, for Trump taking it. And, um, now Trump was arguably very sick when he took it, but you know, if it's helped him, that's a very good sign. It's one patient, but that would be a very good sign. I think my point about this is it's not just Regeneron that's working on antibody cures and treatment. It's that here we are in November and we have something that sounds really good, sounds like it works. And even better, we have financial exposure for many of you to the stock. Um, and this is not why we own it. Uh, Regeneron is a company we've owned since it was a baby, and we bought it because of its its eye treatment for for uh, wet AMD and for their uh, atopic dermatitis treatment, uh, their drug called Dupixent, and and they have a cancer franchise they're working on. So there is a lot going on there, but their their process is so sound that you know COVID is becoming sort of a, a headline name uh, headline situation for them. So. I'm excited about the Regeneron cocktail. I'm excited that it seems to have worked for Trump, but I'm more excited that the the data on Wednesday of last week were really impressive. And and again, that's because we are eight months into this, and you know we're very smart. <laughs> we're very humans can figure stuff out very quickly now. We have very strong computing power, very strong minds that are able to figure all this out very quickly. Um, I've been saying since March, if you had to pick a virus to get in 2020, you know, to have descend on the world, it would be something with low mortality, but at least it would happen in the year 2020 when, when things are uh, a lot more powerful than they were, say, 10 years ago or 20 years ago. So um, all of that is exciting, and we'll, we'll report more on the Regeneron situation in the coming weeks. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I just want to touch on the, the cases at the college level while we're on the virus. Um, some 48,000 cases have been reported across, I think, 39 different colleges. Uh, two hospitalizations, zero deaths as of um, September 22nd. So aside from med the medical community, um, I don't want to say wrapping their heads around this, but getting a better understanding of the virus, uh, the virus seems to be getting a little bit more friendly, which is what we expected uh, at the beginning. If the virus wants to live, it it can't be so uh, so malicious. Um, so all good things on the virus front. Uh, don't want to spend too much time on it, but it, it, we do have to mention it. Um, I think I think um, we can move on from from the virus. Uh, what do you think, Eric? I think that's that's good. Yeah. So, so there's this chart that I came across and, and maybe we'll end it with this. Uh, we have some more things that we could talk about it, uh, on the next show. Um, 
I came across a chart about the bull market uh, top checklist, which basically means uh, when does the market uh, exhaust itself or overextend itself? And there's nine really nine criteria that um, have been realized in past bull markets that indicate the top of of the market or the market is is too high. And um, the first one is obviously is a blow off top, and um, that's when the market just goes up. A crazy amount for no real reason and uh, many many of, of you might argue that that could be uh, what we saw in what from April to today but um, we're talking much 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 bigger uh, moves uh, on the upward trajectory for no for no news um, equity market funds get heavy inflows is another one Net in, net inflows uh, to mutual funds and ETFs are still very underwhelming, uh, and bond bond flows remain robust. So again, still the most hated bull market of all time. Uh, you'd have to see a material change in flows to to uh, equities for me to think that we're ahead of ourselves. Uh, number three is a big pickup in M and A activity, mergers and acquisitions. We've uh, written about this i believe we've mentioned it on the podcast before we expect it to pick up especially since uh access to debt is so cheap uh we haven't seen it yet we're, we're seeing a a small uptick but again not nearly as material as you'd like to see to say hey look everyone is getting a little too frenzy um i would suggest that the buyback frenzy that we saw pre-covid could replace the big pickup in m a uh, and buybacks are have virtually gone away. Um, so again, the the capital deployment from companies into other companies or, or their own companies remains low, which is always a very uh, positive sign for us. Uh, conservatism from company managements uh, typically means um, uh, there's plenty of room to go. Um, IPO activity. So we have seen an uptick in IPO activity, which surprises me. Uh, but it doesn't give in the way that people invest in, in companies, generally speaking. Now, uh, typically, what, what you used to see was companies go public with a very small group of investors. And uh, that's how they accessed great deals of capital. Now you see um, six iterations of venture capital firms uh plant seed capital into these IPOs and then they want to make a profit on their investment. So they sell to the public market. So um, not sure what to, how to interpret it, but there is a, that, that is the only one of the nine criteria that is met. Um, some of the IPOs are actually really interesting. I'm sure we'll talk about some of them eventually. Um, rising rates, rising real interest rates is another one. Um, we know the story with that. They could pick up on based on inflation, but um, I have a whole spiel, and Eric and I argue, uh, what is it, Eric, every three days about inflation. So um, we'll save that for another time. Um, earnings revisions uh, start to decline. Um, they declined for three months, and now they're back with stronger than ever earnings revisions. So very very tricky there. Um, Q2 earnings fell by 30%. Q3 is expected to be better. Um, but it looks like 2021 earnings are pretty strong right now. Um, and then, you know, uh, 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 another 
point we, we you want to see in a bull market or the end of the bull market is a number of stocks making new highs. Uh, but per what we talked about at the beginning, you're seeing a comeback in some of these companies that have been that have remained muted for some time. So that that doesn't exist. Um, and then you see an overall shift towards defensive leadership. Uh, you still have flows into discretionary and tech and every, everywhere, industrials, financials. So utilities, real estate, staples haven't really seen that kind of material inflow yet either. But that's probably because equities overall haven't seen the, uh, the, the type of inflows that you would ordinarily see when things get a little too hot. So um, just thought I'd, I'd leave off with that. I know a lot of people get nervous when the market goes up. I, um, you know, I think Eric and I are not immune to that. It's just, uh, it's one of the only things where, uh, things go up. You, uh, you know, we all make more money and, um, we get nervous about it. Uh, so I just, you know, thought I'd mention, um, in terms of, uh, over capacity or overheating, the equity markets, I uh, based on these nine things, I I still don't see it, and I don't think uh, I don't think anyone could refute that. There's obviously someone out there that says it's the market's too high, and um, you know we welcome those people. That's what makes the market. Um, that's really all I have on that. Anything to add, Eric? Just our disclaimer. Just the beautiful disclaimer. All right. Um... So remember, everyone, you could email us at questions at pinnacle-ny.com. That's questions at pinnacle-ny.com for any service items, moving money, transferring, that kind of thing. EF service, that's EF service at pinnacle-ny.com. We would like any uh, show ideas, so you can write to us on, um, about that. But in the meantime, here's your disclaimer. The investment commentary is limited to the dissemination of information pertaining to Pinnacle Associates Limited and general economic market conditions. Nothing contained herein should be construed as personalized advice or an offer or solicitation to buy or sell any securities. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and there is no guarantee that the views and opinions expressed in this commentary will come to pass. Pinnacle is neither a law firm nor an accounting firm, and no portion of this commentary should be construed as legal or tax advice. You are advised to consult with your separate legal or tax advisors with respect to any legal or tax advice. Pinnacle is an investment advisor registered with the SEC. For information pertaining to the registration status of Pinnacle, please refer to Investment Advisor Public Disclosure website at www.advisorinfo.sec.gov. For additional information about Pinnacle, including fees and services, you request you can request our written disclosure statement as set forth on Form ADV Part 2A. And with that, I think we're good, Ryan. All right, everybody. Have a good week. Uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks so much.